a bright golden haze on the meadow. There's a bright golden haze on the meadow. The corn is as high as an elephant's And it looks like it's climbing clear up to the sky. Oh, what a beautiful morning. Oh, what a beautiful day. Oh, what a beautiful morning. Oh, what a beautiful day. I got a beautiful feeling Everything's going my way Well, hello again. This is Buck Benny. Welcome to another episode of Bing Crosby. I hope you've been enjoying these episodes as much as I have. They are so much fun, and the sound quality is just so amazing. Last week's uh, episode I was listening to with um, Mickey Rooney, and I was just thinking, you know, I don't think Mickey Rooney nor Bing Crosby have probably ever heard this episode sound so clear. Uh, certainly, the audience at the time in 1946 on the radios could not have heard it in the quality that we have. Uh, even if I was broadcasting on radio today, and putting it out there for people to listen to. You wouldn't be able to hear, the radio doesn't carry as much quality as these um, MP3 files can that we, that we have, if we, certainly if we have them at a high bit rate. So um, it's just uh, a neat technology we have to be able to share these shows in such high quality when we have them in this kind of high quality sound. And these bings are just beautiful, beautiful, beautiful sound. Um, I want to um, talk for a second about uh, the upcoming weeks on the Bing Crosby Show. I've been ping-ponging this year, as you know, between uh, the 1951-1952 season from 60 years ago and the 1946-1947 season from 65 years ago and kind of Whoever, whichever episode has the biggest star that's most recognizable today and so forth is the one I bring for, forward um, to bring to each week. A couple times I've brought you two when, they, when both shows from 65 years ago and from 60 years ago have amazing stars. Uh, right now I'm just, I'm in one of those uh, embarrassment of riches areas where for the next, oh month or so, there are just almost too many big-name stars to, um, to ignore, for sure. And I want to bring them to you, but I don't want to bring them as uh, double episodes too much, because when I do that, I feel like one of them gets a little lost in the shuffle and not as many people hear it. Um, so I'm going to uh, be trying my best to bring them to you. What's going to happen here is you're going to have some episodes that are a little bit off in the date. Uh, usually I, I have them the same week that they played. This time it'll they'll slide. Some of them are going to be a little later, some are going to be a little earlier. A good example is tonight's episode. It is going to be from uh, 60 years ago. This is the Bob Hope 
appearance. Um, it's fun. This one is done at uh, to entertain some troops and things, which we don't get a lot of Bing episodes doing. We get a lot of Bob Hope episodes doing that. This is at Fort Ord, and uh, I hope that you're going to enjoy it. I, I've listened to a little bit of it over my... Um, the speakers on my computer. I can't tell 100%, but it sounds really clear. I was thinking, boy, if any episode was not going to pull it off, it was going to be a remote episode where they do it on location, but apparently it sounds like they did a great job even on location, so that's pretty cool. So I hope you enjoy this episode. The other episode that was from the same week was um, with Al Jolson on it from uh, 1946. So I'm going to go ahead and bring you the Al Jolson episode next week. So it'll be a week off, but that's the way it goes. I can't skip Al Jolson. I mean, uh, Al Jolson would take over for uh, Bing Crosby on the Kraft Music Hall. And we played Al Jolson, uh, Al Jolson episode with uh, Judy Garland as the guest star here a few weeks ago on, on Saturday. So uh, I, I didn't want to bring them both to you the same night. And I didn't want to skip the Al Jolson, so like I say, we're going to go a little bit out of order sometimes in the next month or so. But I think you'll forgive me for the high caliber of folks we're going to bring you with great sound. So enjoy tonight another appearance of, with Bing Crosby and Bob Hope. you got to love these two together. And uh, join us next week for Bing Crosby and Al Jolson, uh, another... Um, great uh, with some I think uh, at least at one duet with the two of them which will be fun uh, anyway we'll see you then and we've got a lot of great shows to bring you in the future as well so please tune in every Monday for our trip with through uh, time with Bing Crosby and we'll see you next time Chesterfield. Howdy folks, a big hello, we're here to start the Crosby Show. Before you do another thing, just take this tip from Brother Bing. Sound off, for Chesterfield. Sound off, for Chesterfield. Tie your pack to Chesterfield. Do it. Today! Someone waits for me. This is Ken Carpenter. Welcome here to the Bing Crosby Show for Chesterfield, produced and transcribed at Fort Ord, California, with John Scott Trotter and his orchestra, Judd Collins for the Bears, and Bing's guests, Miss Monica Lewis and Mr. Bob Hope. And now, from the Army Training Center at Fort Ord, here is a man whose only worry about the draft is that he stiffens up when he stands in one, Bing Crosby! Hey, just a minute there, Ken. You don't have to single me out as the only one who's wide open to an attack to rheumatism. Yeah. I want to tell you something, boy. Nearly everybody out here in sun-drenched California has turned a little blue lately. <laughs> Whoa. A little bit grizzly. California certainly had a chilly winter. But really, in this cold weather, Ken, I want to tell you, I've gone the full route in the underwear department. You mean to say you're wearing long underwear? In my set, we refer to them as blizzard bloomers. 
That's funny. In our group, they're known as tummy ticklers. <laughs> Mine tickle all over. <laughs> oh, do you itch? They itch, I scratch. I pass. You pass. <laughs> you know, Bing, since, uh, since you've been honest with me, I, uh, I think there's a confession I should make. Oh, Ken, you don't mean Yes, it. Bing. I'm wearing longies, too. Oh, well, it's too bad this isn't an air base here. We both could have landed with our flaps down. Oh. <laughs> well, I know it must be awfully chilly where you're living over in Pebble Beach, isn't it? Is it? Ooh. Boy, Bob Hope is my house guest, you know And every night we've been sleeping with three extra quilts on our bed On your bed? Yeah Well, for goodness sake, why do you and Bob have to sleep in the same bed? Kid's afraid to be alone in the dark, you know <laughs> I want to tell you something else And this is, this is really a What's fact this? this is honest Fellow walks in his sleep, you know, Hope Bob? Yeah What makes him walk in his sleep? Too cheap to take a taxi, I guess <laughs> Sleepwalking is dangerous Oh, honestly, I think he was just faking Think so? Sure He was carrying a lantern and Lantern? Yeah <laughs> See, I, I live right there on the golf course, Ken I think he was on a nocturnal hunt for lost golf balls <laughs> Pick up an old oh, Dunlop no, out no. there to Bob wouldn't flight. do that I don't know When he came back to bed, he felt awful lumpy <laughs> And another thing, Ken I, I don't like to really condemn a fella before he's caught, you know, red-handed Shouldn't do that, no. But I think... I don't want this brooded around, but I think yeah. the only reason he came up to visit me is to nab the silverware and everything else that's loose around the house. No, 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 wait, no, 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 Bing, that's a pretty strong statement. You talk as though Bob were a regular burglar. Well, all I know is he arrived at my place with four suitcases, three of them empty. <laughs> what do you think? What was in the fourth one? A floor plan of my house. <laughs> also a flashlight, a blackjack, a Jimmy, and a Dick Tracy comic book. <laughs> I must be carefree. We've got to go on mm -hmm. about the impending heist. Get on with the opening selection here, which, according to the paper, is a song called Undecided. John Scott, I'm ready if you are. First you say you do, and then you don't. And then you say you will, and then you won't. You're undecided now, so what are you gonna do? Now you want to play and then it's no And when you say you stay, that's when you go You're undecided now, so what are you gonna do? I've been sitting on a fence and it doesn't make much sense Cause you keep me in suspense and you know it Then you promise to return, when you don't I really burn Well I guess I'll never learn and I show it if you got a heart and if you're kind Then don't keep us apart, make up your mind You're undecided now, so what are you gonna do? I've been sitting on a fence And it doesn't make much sense Cause you keep me in suspense And you know it Bible advises up then you promise to return When you don't, I really burn Well, I guess I'll never learn And I show it If you've got a heart and if you're kind Don't keep us apart, make up your mind You're undecided now, so what are you gonna do? 
Cause first you say you do and then you say you don't And then you say you will and then you say you won't You're undecided now so what are you gonna do? the cigarette that's milder, tastes better, and leaves no unpleasant aftertaste changed to Chesterfield's today. Yes, sir. Enjoy your smoking with Chesterfield Mildness Plus, no unpleasant aftertaste. Chesterfield Mildness has been confirmed by 1,562 prominent tobacco growers. No unpleasant aftertaste has been confirmed by a world-famous research organization. They reported, of all brands tested, only Chesterfield leaves no unpleasant aftertaste. Yep, Chesterfield mildness, plus no unpleasant aftertaste. That's smoking pleasure all the way. Try a pack of Chesterfields today, or even better, get a carton, as old Godfrey tells you to do. Enjoy your smoking and sound off for Chesterfields. Now, fellas, I'd like to have you all meet one of our loveliest young singing stars. Very beautiful, very talented, Monica Lewis. Thank you, Dane. Monica, it's really, it's really nice that you could come up here tonight. What are you going to sing for us to these strong, healthy young fellas, Monica? Well, I thought I might do How Am I to Know from the new MGM picture, Pandora and the Flying Dutchman. Oh, Pandora and the Flying mm -hmm. Dutchman, huh? I wonder if he comes in with his flaps up or down. I must... <laughs> You don't know about that, huh? No, but it stars James Mason and Ava Gardner. Oh, fine. This is a lovely song. Let's, let's have it, huh, Monica? All right.
Sweet. That is real sweet, Monica. Wonderful, wonderful. Folks, I'm sure that, uh, that you all read of the heroic efforts of Captain Carlson and the loss of the uh, merchant ship, the Flying Enterprise. However, tonight for this special occasion, we've had the Flying Enterprise raised and we towed it to Fort Ord. And here it is now, Bob Hope. <laughs> Thank you, Captain Blanc. Now, <laughs> Mr. Christian, come <laughs> down here. Look who's calling me the Flying Enterprise. I've been towing you for years, Dad. That's not me dragging behind you yeah. there. And that's not a streetcar named Desire trailing you either. I may say, though, candidly, it's a joy. It's really sheer heaven having sure. you at Pebble Beach. All at... that? Yes. And no money, isn't that? So... <laughs> sheer heaven and no money. Just to have you at Pebble Beach as my house guest. Well, I may do all right on that deal. You're telling me, you burglar. <laughs> what do you mean, burglar? I looked in your suitcase. I found a gym in it. It's just to get into the bathroom. <laughs> I ran out of nickels. <laughs> Now, listen, I'm glad that you came up here to Fort Ord with me, brother. I am, too. But I want to tell you one thing, Lord. I'm what? still sore about the... <laughs> I'm still... S <sighs> I'm still sore about the trip up here. That's the last automobile trip I take with you. Weren't you comfortable? Comfortable? Yeah. How did I know there were going to be seven of us in the front seat? <laughs> what a sneak you are, putting an ad in the paper that said, Wealthy philanthropist traveling north wants company on trip for laughs. Well, what's wrong with that? They charged us 20 bucks a piece. <laughs> I'm still laughing. <laughs> and to think I had a reservation on the Continental Trailways bus. Quit beefing. <laughs> I bought your lunch on the way up here, didn't I? Yeah, but I felt so silly sitting there with my pants rolled up so you'd only have to pay for a child's plate. <laughs> well. well, after lunch, didn't I pick you up and burp you? Huh? <laughs> Yeah, but while you had me over your shoulder, you picked my pocket. Yeah. <laughs> Beautiful haul I got out of that. Two Dewey buttons and a lock of Marjorie Maine's hair. <laughs> Please, there's some things a gentleman doesn't discuss. Oh, pardon my gauche briche. I'm sorry here. <laughs> I don't have that. <laughs> but listen, let's talk gauche about Ford Ord. You know that... This is where the new inductees... Gonzaga talk. Gauche briche. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> Say, this is where the new inductees here at Fort Ord go through basic training. They uh -huh. learn to face all the dangers, face all the hardships that they might experience under fire. So that's why they brought your show up here. Huh? <laughs> no, that's why we got you as guests. Well, you sure. It's even. even. Sounds like a dead heat, don't it? <laughs> but you know, they sure do draft the fellas in a hurry here. Do you see that one guy who's all bent over? Yeah, what happened to him? It's not far from the beach. <laughs> what? What? Well, that's what it says here. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Go back there. You skipped a page. Oh, yeah, I thought that was what pretty dull for a punchline. <laughs> what is that? Wait a minute. Not far from the beach. Isn't that awful? <laughs> wait, we're on page 50? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Do one page at a time. No, okay, okay. Let's try it you again. Let's try again. Stick out your tongue so I can wet my thumb. Thank okay. you. 
Let's see now. Where, oh, you do that line about the guys being drafted. First, okay, yeah? I say, you know, they sure do draft the fellas in a hurry here. Did you see that one guy who was all bent over? Yeah, what happened to him? Well, he was a plumber and they drafted him before he could get out from under the sink he was fixing. <laughs> it's not far from the breach. I think I like that better. <laughs> Sounds like the kind of a line you'd give me on your show. <laughs> At least I don't glue your pages together. Well, drop in again. We'll glue you together. <laughs> you got the horses for it. But oh, wait, wait, now. <laughs> Keep looking. You'll find a beach in there somewhere. <laughs> but listen, anyway, on the level, Bing, the Army can lead to a great career. Look at what General Eisenhower has done. That's right. I understand if they draft him, he's going to run. Some of the fellas here tried that, but they caught him and brought him back. <laughs> I should think the boys would love it here. After all, they have a chance to learn a trade. Why, just a while ago, I saw a fellow out behind the mess hall peeling potatoes. Peeling potatoes? What kind of a trade is that? Wonderful. He traded with the guy who was peeling onions. <laughs> and you know, recreation facilities are excellent, too. They have ping pong, shuffleboard, and if they feel like it, the fellas can go swimming in the surf. It's not far from the beach. <laughs> So that's where the line that's fits, you little going. rascal, you. <laughs> I loved you the first time I said you. Yes, I did. You really like that line. I may adopt it. I think it needs a home. But I, uh, I feel right at home here at Fort Orchard. Yeah. You know, I'm making a picture at Paramount called Military Policeman with Marilyn Maxwell. Oh, what a nice area to police. <laughs> You're thinking right. You know, it's not often you find a Maxwell with a Cadillac body. <laughs> Tell me. But it's interesting making a picture about the MPs, Bing. Oh, these yeah. guys are some... You know, these MPs are some of the roughest, toughest characters you'll ever meet. Oh, well, that's bad. That's, you're mistaken. That's bad casting. Why, as a group, the, the military policemen are the kindest, gentlest, most soft-spoken, obliging boys in the army. I guess I haven't met them all, huh? <laughs> no, MPs are different, Bob, than they used to be. Why, here at Fort Ord, MP stands for Marvelously Pleasant. <laughs> That's funny. I always thought it stood for muscles and poison. No. <laughs> oh, you're wrong. You're wrong, Bob. See, I, I... I can prove it. I've got a little skit here that we've written. It shows that just how the military police at Fort Ord operate. And I got a gal here that's going to help us out with the skit, too. Monica, come on over here, will you? Yes, Bing. What is it? Well, look what he's been hiding in his duffel bag. <laughs> Don't you know Monica, Bob? She's going to uh, help... It's not far from the beach. <laughs> now, wait... <laughs> Her coastline reminded you me of that. <laughs> Settle down, 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 boy. Listen, she's going to help us with our sketch. Monica, this is Bob Hope. Oh, I know, Bob. I've seen him on television. Brave girl, brave girl. <laughs> I may do a TV show for the U.S. Rubber Company. Well, that's fair enough. You've been wearing their girdles for years. You know, <laughs> work for them. At least I don't make my own out of scotch tape and never leak. <laughs> What about the sketch, boy? Oh, the yes, sketch. the sketch. Pardon us, Monica. Bob, you play, you're going to play a part of a, of a young rookie G.I. Yes. Monica is your girlfriend, and I'm a typical military policeman. Shall we, then? It's not far from the beach. No, I may want to drown. Music, John. We now take you to a secluded, wooded side road on the Monterey Peninsula. 
It's a beautiful, balmy evening, and the stars twinkle down upon a boy and a girl seated in a jeep. Isn't this a wonderful night, honey? Mm, it sure is. You know, all my life I've been saving my kisses for a girl just like you. <laughs> and tonight you'd like to lose your life savings, huh? <laughs> yep, I want to shoot the works. <laughs> Rowie! <laughs> Let go of me. What's the matter with you? Long time no she. <laughs> Behave yourself and read that comic book I brought you. <laughs> okay, hold the flashlight. <laughs> Golly, this is a thriller. <laughs> shall, shall I read it to you? <laughs> yeah, just the printing. I'm good on pictures. <laughs> oh, boy. This is the biggest night of my life. Just think a date with a Salinas girl. It's a big night for me, too. Just think, a date with a volunteer lettuce picker. <laughs> but, Monica, really, I'm crazy about you. I really am. And I want to tell you that I... I... <laughs> What's that, a critic? That's supposed to be a motorcycle. We forgot to bring a sound man up <laughs> Boy, what a cheap show. How'd I get trapped? <laughs> never mind that. Never mind that. Now, uh, may I see your pass, oh, soldier? Golly, it's a military policeman. Oh, please, Mr. MP, sir. Go easy on me. <laughs> I know this racket, you know. Don't drag me off to the guardhouse. I'm innocent, I tell you. I'm innocent. Now, now, don't be afraid, my boy. I'm here to help oh. you. <laughs> you are? Of course. Oh, then hold this girl. I want to kiss her. <laughs> well, if you two want a neck, I'd better hop on my motorcycle and plunge off into the darkness. <laughs> it's not far to the beach. <laughs> <laughs> How'd that line get in there? Now, young man, I, I don't want to be a pest or anything, but inasmuch as you're off the post and it's three o'clock in the morning, I would like to know if, if you have a pass. Pass? Yes. Oh, yes, yes. Here's my pass. Thank you. This is a pass from World War I. <laughs> well, I am a little overdue. Well, now, don't you let it worry your pretty little head. I feel like a cad. You know, I've never ridden on a motorcycle. Oh, you haven't? Well, come on, I'll take you for a ride right now. Oh, thank you. And now, wait a minute. Uh, 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 no, 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 don't interfere. Just hop right up here, miss. Okay. Well, good night. Uh, good night. Goodbye, <laughs> Bob. Monica, come back. You mean everything to me. You can't leave me alone. Why not? Well, who's going to hold a flashlight for my comic book? <laughs> Monica and I and Bob have a little personalized version here of a current uh, pop ditty. I think we might get a jar out of it. You ready, Monica? Mm -hmm. John Scott? Buddy Cole? Go. Wish I was a bumblebee by heck. I wish I was a bumblebee by heck. If I was a bumblebee by heck, I'd buzz, buzz, buzz round Gregory Peck. I wish I was. A bumblebee by 
I have. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. What do you want with Gregory Peck? Yeah, what are we, chicken liver or something? <laughs> what well, we do? We do, but not with me. Ay, ay, ay. A bumblebee is what she wants to be. All right, Bob, it's your turn. Is there anything you'd like to be? No, no, I'm content. <laughs> After all, I'm charming, talented, lovable. Who could ask for anything more? Oh, come on. Fight. Think. You'll come up with something. Okay, but I may have to press a little. Come on. I wish I was a lemon custard pie. I wish I was a lemon custard pie. If I was a lemon custard pie, I'd throw myself in Crosby's eye. I wish I was a lemon That's very clever, Bob. Did you like it? Yes. Now I shall get even. I'll take it easy, bud. You know my temper and my muscles. Your muscles? Sure, on a clear day, I'm often mistaken for Mr. America. Oh. <laughs> How well I wish I was a muscle man like you. I wish I was a muscle man like you. If I was a muscle man like you, I'd tear a Kleenex right in two. I wish I was a muscle man like you. Now I've got one. No, you've had yours. We've got to go for the finish. What a sneak. Hi-ho, fiddly-dee, this is what we like to be. Hi-ho, fiddly-dee. Hi-ho, fiddly-dee. Hi-ho, fiddly-dee, this is what we think we'd like to be. About joining in with me and once over lightly on sound off. Well, I huh? thought you asked me over here to do something funny. I did sing. <laughs> Last night I saw my favorite spy. You did? Well, how did you like it, guy? I went and got my money back and spent it for my favorite pack of Chesterfield. 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 Milder, 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 Chesterfield. That's, That's right. right, you've seen my picture, I presume. Oh, yes, you mean here comes the gloom. Mm -hmm. The audience slept right through it all. To wake them up, I had to call. Sound off for Chesterfield. Sound off for Chesterfield. Try a pack of Chesterfields and do it today. Friends, when you smoke Chesterfield, you're going with the very best. That Chesterfield mildness plus no unpleasant aftertaste means smoking pleasure all the way. So lay your money on the line for one that's got it all. Enjoy your smoking. Change to Chesterfield. Today. Right. John, go ahead. Just one more chance. To prove it, you alone I care for. Each night I say a little prayer for just one more chance, just one more night to taste those kisses that enchant me. I'd want no others if you'd grant me 
Just one more chance I've learned the meaning of repentance Now you're the jury at my trial I know that I should serve my sentence Still I'm hoping all the while You'll give me Just one more word I said that I was glad to start out But now I'm back to cry my heart out For just one more chance I've learned the meaning of repentance Now you're the jury at my trial I know that I should serve my sentence Still I'm hoping all the while you'll give that I was glad to start out But now I'm back to cry my heart out For just one more represents the closer for this evening. Now my thanks to Monica Lewis, Bob Hope, and all those who joined us here at Fort Ord for this evening's show. We'd like to tell you folks listening that the soldiers here on this post contribute 2,000 pints of blood every month to the Red Cross. Isn't that wonderful? And you know the boys here bought over $300,000 worth of bonds in the recent defense bond drive? And this post has contributed over $50,000 to local charities. Mm, yes, sir. I want to tell you this is some outfit. Thanks also now to General McClure, Colonel Solomon, and the special services and all who have been so very nice to us here on our visit. Folks, we'll be back on the air next Wednesday, same time, but I sincerely hope you won't wait till then to try Chesterfields. Latch onto a pack or a carton right away. Enjoy your smoking. Change to Chesterfields today and get smoking pleasure all the way. <laughs> show presented by Chesterfield was produced and transcribed at Port Ord, California by Bill Morrow and Murdo McKenzie. Tune in next week and hear Bing and his guest, Paul Douglas. Transcribed. Ladies and gentlemen, the Railroad Hour. 
And here comes our star-studded show train. Tonight, the Association of American Railroads presents the great Sigmund Romberg operetta, The Desert Song, starring Gordon McRae and his charming guest, Mimi Benzel. Our choir is under the direction of Norman Luboff, and the music is prepared and conducted by Carmen Dragon. Yes, tonight, another great musical success is brought to you by the American Railroads, the same railroads that bring you most of the food you eat, the clothes you wear, the fuel you burn, and all the other things you use in your daily life. And now, here is our star, Gordon McRae. Thank you, Marlon Miller, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Tonight, we bring you one of the great romantic operettas of all time, The Desert Song. As Margot Bonvalet, you will hear lovely Mimi Benzel. And I shall don the mask and flowing red cape of that mysterious romantic figure, the Red Shadow. I saw the red shadow. I had come to Morocco as the guest of Governor Birabo and his family. One day I was standing alone outside the fortress when suddenly a band of rifts came galloping over the hill. Their leader wore a long red cloak and a mask, and no one who saw him ride by, singing as he rode, could ever forget him. comes a song. It is the drum, drum, drum of hoofbeats in the sand. Quiver with fear if you are near. It is the thunder of the shadow and his band. And are abroad go before you've bitten the sword oh that's the sound that comes to warn you so in the night or early morn you know if you're the red shadow's foe the rips will strike with a blow that brings you woe Strike with a blow that brings you 
watching the red shadow and his band disappear over the hill, thinking to myself that here was the most romantic figure I had ever seen. Long after dark had settled on the desert, I still stood there, dreaming, until Governor Birabeau and his son Pierre came out to find me. Margot, my dear, Pierre and I have been looking everywhere for you. You must never come outside the fortress alone. No, it, it isn't safe. Oh, I'm sorry I worried you. Where were you this afternoon, Pierre? Oh, I was out hunting for wildflowers. Ah, wildflowers. What sort of a son am I raising? Come, Argo, let's go back inside the gate. Very well. Oh, Governor, I think Morocco is so exciting and full of adventure. It must be the most romantic place in the world. Margot, I'm afraid your head's entirely too full of romance. You're right. It is. Romance, the playboy that is born each spring To teach a nightingale to sing A very pretty song I you Romance, a legend of an old brocade A prince who tells a country maid I love you Romance. Well, one, one warning, Margot. 
Stay in your room. The Red Shadow is rumored to be somewhere within the ground. The Red Shadow. Oh, how romantic he sounds. I think I should welcome him. Oh, no, my child. Now go to your room. Oh, very well. Good evening, mademoiselle. You're... You're the Red Shadow. Your servant. I heard you say you would welcome me. You heard me? Where were you? In the shadows. Come with me, tonight, into the desert. Come with me and you'll never want to return. You're very sure of yourself. Not of myself. But who can resist the magic of the desert? My desert is waiting, dear, come there with me, I'm longing to teach you love's sweet melody, I'll sing a dream song Sing a moonlit sky, a desert breeze whispering a lullaby. Only stars above you to see. I love you. Oh, give me that night divine and let. Desert song calling its voice and calling will make you Master! Master, the horses are waiting just outside the gates as you ordered. Will you come with me, Margot? You know my name. I know your name. Your dreams and even perhaps your future. Come with me. Oh, it's impossible. If you won't come of your own free will, then I shall have to pick you up and carry you off. Let me alone. Stop. All right. I've got her. Come on, Hassie. Yes, Master, here. Through this window. Shh, quiet now. Quiet. We don't want anyone to hear us. And kissing a moonlit sky, a desert breeze whispering a lullaby. Let me go. Do you think you can steal a guest from the governor's palace? I love you. Give me this night. I'll come after you tomorrow and kill you. Let them. <laughs> the desert song calling.
return for the second act of the Desert Song in just a moment. Because every one of us has a stake in the maintenance of a sound and strong railroad system in the United States, a system adequate to the needs of commerce and the demands of defense, you will be interested in the progress of hearings that are going on in Washington now. Early in 1951, the railroads asked for increased freight rates to help meet the rise in costs since 1949, when the last increase was authorized. Part of the request of the railroads was granted last year, and the railroads are now asking that the remainder of the increase requested be authorized. The reason is simply this, that even though the railroads last year handled the second highest peacetime volume of freight traffic ever recorded and did it with record efficiency, their necessary costs of operation have gone up much faster and much farther than freight rates. The result is that earnings are inadequate to enable the railroads to meet current needs and to carry on the program of expansion and improvement necessary to meet the needs of the future. It figures out this way. Since 1949, railroad wages and the prices of fuel and materials and taxes have gone up so much that they have added $1,166,000,000 to annual operating costs. But the increases in freight rates authorized since that time will produce only $564 million in additional annual revenue. Thus, what the railroads must pay out has risen by more than $500 million a year over what they are able to take in. It is essential to the commerce of the nation and to its defense that the program of railroad expansion and improvement be carried forward. On the basis of present low earnings, the railroads cannot continue to secure the money it takes to do this. To make earnings to sustain the credit which the railroads must have to keep on with their vital program of building to meet transportation demands, freight rates must be based on current costs and adjusted to conditions. That's why the railroads have had to seek authority from the Interstate Commerce Commission for the remainder of the freight rate increase asked for in 1951. <laughs> Now, here is the second act of The Desert Song, starring Gordon McRae as the Red Shadow and his guest Mimi Benzel as Margot, with Francis X. Bushman as Governor Birabo. All night, we rode across the desert. Just at dawn, we arrived in front of a great castle the red shadow bowed to the man who came across the sands to welcome us. Once more, exalted Ali, I beg your kindness and shelter. Should I not protect the protector of my tribe? What did you do this time, hmm? Burn down a prison? Kidnap a tax collector? Blow up a dam so the farmers could have water? No, it's, it's a little different this time, Ali. I have captured a French woman. A French woman? You brought her forcibly against her will? Yes, from the quarters of Governor Birabo, where I am a guest. Well, you have put us all in danger by bringing this woman here, my friend. I beg you, send her back. I've risked my life for you many times. And this is the first time I've asked anything in return, Ali. I will not send this woman back. I'm going to win her for my own. Lonely as a desert I may wander where I please, yet I keep on longing to 
apartment in Ali's palace. Slave girls dressed me in rich oriental attire. Then they led me to an outer room where the red shadow was waiting. Margot. Why did you bring me here? To teach you to love me. You're a bandit, an outlaw, an enemy of my people. Margot, when I came to Morocco eight years ago, the French governor was abusing the Arabs. I could not reason with him. So I put on this red mask and cloak and rode into the hills the palace of Ali Ben Ali. I said to him, give me 20 men who aren't afraid to risk their lives. And when the law is wrong, we will overturn the law. Are you speaking of Governor Birabo? No, the former governor, General Fontaine. But Governor Birabo came here for one purpose, to destroy the Red Shadow. I am willing to risk my life to win your love. That is impossible, monsieur. I, I am already in love with the governor's son, Pierre. Pierre? That weakling, that picker of flowers? <laughs> All right, I'll send Pierre to you. Have you captured him too? He's here. <gasps> and if Pierre can win you, why then I swear by all I hold sacred to send you back his bride. No. No, wait. Let me think. Margot, you, you do love me, you must. And sand kissing a moonlit sky A desert breeze whispering a lullaby Only stars above you to see I love you Oh! 
go. Mirabeau. Oh, thank heaven I found you. Are you all right? Yes. Yes, I am, Governor. Sir, Mr. Red Shadow, in my younger days, I was a good swordsman. Your men have told me that if I can defeat you in single combat, then you will release Margot Bonvalet. Well, sir, I'm going to kill you, or you'll have to kill me. Oh, Governor Birabo, please don't do this. Step aside, Margot. Draw your sword, sir. Red Shadow, aren't you going to fight? You must fight. I surrender my sword. Well, it seems I've won an easy victory, but I can't call it a very proud one. Governor Birabeau and I rode towards home. We saw the red shadow standing with his men at the edge of the desert. And as we halted our horses, we could hear their voices quite plainly. We have no choice but to follow the law of our tribe, my master. You have refused to fight, so you must be sent into the desert alone, without food, without arms. Your only weapon, this broken sword. It is the will of Allah. We turn our backs now to Mecca and pray as you start into the desert. May Allah go with thee. back at the fortress, worrying about the governor's son, Pierre, who had disappeared at the same time I had been captured. Suddenly, Ali Ben Ali arrived with strange and wonderful news. General Biribou, Mademoiselle Margot, yesterday the man we thought a coward was a man of such dauntless bravery that he had the courage to play the coward. I'm afraid I don't understand you. General Biribou, where is your son, Pierre? That's what I was going to ask you. Margot tells me that yesterday was in your palace. Or so the Red Shadow told her, but... Precisely. But no one saw Pierre arrive, and no one saw him go. What do you mean? One of my women, Azuri, saw the Red Shadow without his mask yesterday. She recognized him, solved the riddle for me, and I am endeavoring to solve it for you. Will a son... Kill his father. Will a son? 
Oh. Pierre is the red shadow. Exactly, mademoiselle. Pierre, the red shadow. My son. Oh, my son. The red shadow is dead. Listen. They've killed him. They've killed my son. The red shadow is dust. Who, who is responsible? Which of my soldiers? I killed him. Father? Pierre. I'm the man who put an end to the red shadow. You see, Father, you never thought I was brave. My son, you were bravest at that moment when you refused to fight. Father, how did you find out? Does it matter now? Then you've done your work. Back to the square. And double rations of food and wine for all of you. Dismiss! Pierre, as governor of this post, all I know and all I want to know is that the red shadow is no more. Then you forgive me. You have done nothing wrong, my boy. And you seem to understand these people better than I do. Perhaps if we can work together, there'll be no further need of a riff Robin Hood. Thank you, my father. Thank you. Margo, I I don't know how you feel about me now, but I've been in love with you since the first hour I saw you. Oh, darling. Now I know why I couldn't decide between Pierre and the Red Shadow. For I needed and loved both of them. This would be a magic Mimi Benzal will be back in just a moment. And meanwhile, a word of thanks to our excellent supporting cast, Francis X. Bushman, Paul Fries, and our entire company. Desert Song with music by Sigmund Romberg and book and lyrics by Otto Harbach, Oscar Hammerstein II, and Frank Mandel was adapted for radio by Gene Holloway. And now, here again is lovely Mimi Benzel. You'd better watch out playing those double roles. Betty Davis and Olivia de Havilland will get jealous. Why, Mimi, they let me do everything on the show train, you know. I throttle the engine, sweep out the caboose. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what's on your show train next week, Gordon? Well, I've got to buckle my sword right back on, Mm Mime. We're going to do a wonderful show by Rudolph Fimmel called The Three Musketeers. Oh. And Dorothy Warren Show will join us as we... Washbuckle all over the place. <laughs> well, I'll be a listening, D'Artagnan. Good night, Gordon. Good night, Mimi. You were wonderful. All aboard. Well, it looks as though we're ready to pull out, and so until next Monday night, this is your friend Gordon McRae saying goodbye. <laughs> The Desert Song was presented by arrangement with the Tams Whitmark Music Library. Gordon McRae can be seen in Warner Brothers' Starlift. 
Our choir is under the direction of Norman Luboff, and our music is prepared and conducted by Carmen Dragon. This is Marvin Miller saying goodbye until next week for the American Railroads. Now keep tuned for your Monday night of music on NBC. Hear the voice of Firestone. The preceding was transcribed. Stay tuned now for the telephone hour on NBC.